Although many of us strive to be the best dad we can be, many physicians struggle with finding balance between their life at home and their life at work. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast, the show where we discuss topics involving our minds, bodies, beliefs, relationships at home, and upping our game with our business practices and financial knowledge to better improve our role as dad in the lives of those around us. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, physician, husband, father to two boys, and self-proclaimed imperfect dad. Join me as I learn to raise my own imperfections within all these topics. Now, let's get to today's discussion. Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, and today I want to talk about a specific movie and some specific themes I got out of watching it. And and actually, it was two movies. My boys and I got together and decided to watch both of the Guardian of the Galaxy movies, Volume 1 and 2, um, first time for them, which was... We'll say interesting, but I picked up a lot during the movies and watching it with them. And I kind of want to comment on that with looking at parenting and those kind of things. But first, before we get into that, don't forget, if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do subscribe so you get notified when the next episode comes out. Um, Also, if you've not left yet left a review, please leave a review. Those five-star reviews helps get this show higher up on the list so that if people are searching for this specific type of information, it's a lot easier for them to find. And lastly, share this with a friend if you think you have a friend who would get something out of it. Now, I've done episodes looking at, you know, dads of Star Wars and dads in some of the Marvel Universe history, um, but I haven't really talked about Guardians of the Galaxy. And I had not really intended to watch these movies with our kids. Reminder, our boys are nine and five years old. Maybe not appropriate for their ages, but we had a long discussion before the movies. We made it okay to watch. Um, So if you're going to judge me on letting my five-year-old watch Guardians, you can go somewhere else right now. But we did. We had a long talk. And that really, if you think about it as parenting, that's, that's important too. If you know your kids are going to be put into a situation that maybe has some more, you know, grown up themes or other topics, instead of hiding it and shielding it from them, you prepare them for it, right? Because that's really what the world's about, right? You can't hide your kids from everything in the world. Um, So what, what did we do? We sat there and said, hey, listen, there's going to be some words that are said in these movies that are grown-up words, and they're words that you shouldn't use at school. And when those words pop up, I'll let you know. I'll let you know what those words are, um, because it's important for you to know that you shouldn't be using this. And and I kind of had to say that specifically for a five-year-old, because they watched Ant-Man, and all throughout that movie, and they're saying, damn, all the time. Like, damn, that's so cool, or damn, I screwed up. And I caught our five-year-old using this word while doing whatever it was he was doing. Maybe he was working on homework, or maybe he was playing a game, or doing something, and he would end it, just go like, damn. And although it's really cute and funny to watch your five-year-old say this, you know that if he's saying this at school, he's going to get in trouble. So I had to address that with him, like, hey, buddy, where'd you pick this up at? I realized it's because he watched Ant-Man, and he said, they say it in Ant-Man all the time, Dad. It means wow, because most of the time they were using it in, like, a cool, odd tone. And so I said, wow, it's really good that you picked up, like, the meaning of that word, but you really shouldn't be saying it. That's more of a grown-up word. So we talked about that. So that was a good dad teaching moment, and I got it set them up for the Guardians movies. And when you look at the movies, um, the first Guardian movie, fun, get to know your characters, lots of 
randomly foul language. Luckily, they never dropped the F-bomb in there, uh, but it did prepare them if they did. Um, and they went through the movie, and they enjoyed it. They had a lot of fun watching it. They enjoyed how it was done. You know, looking at that movie, I wouldn't say there was a lot of specific themes family-wise within there. Um, I mean, you get to see a lot of how some of these characters are formed with the lack of family. So you look at Peter Quill not having a dad, being raised um, by the Ravagers, who he doesn't particularly see as the parental figures at that time. We'll talk about that for Volume 2. But you can see how maybe that influences how he acts throughout the world. Same with Gamora. If you know Gamora's history, she was taken from her home world as a child by Thanos as he was going on his rampage of, you know, conquering worlds. And she never had a true father figure. Thanos was her father figure. Um, but eventually she learned what he was up to, what he was doing, and vowed to basically stop him. And so you can look at their characters and realize that there were some flawed parts of them that is probably from t- due to some lack of parenting. But they didn't really get into that in that first volume. I mean, you had Groot, who is a tree. I don't know what his familial lineage is like. You have Rocket, who's a raccoon, who was created in a lab, and Drax, who is Drax, um, most likely autistic based on his character. And so <clears throat> you have these characters um, in this first movie, and not a lot of specific themes that you can follow for a family. But we finished that first movie, and the boys were so excited. It was about 5.30. And they looked at me, and they said, Dad, can we watch the next one? <laughs> and... It was just me and the boys. My wife was upstairs reading, and I just said, you know what, forget it. We're going to do this. We're just going to watch that next movie. So that's one of those moments where normally I wouldn't say yes, right? Usually um, one movie a day is enough for our family. Um, But I didn't see a reason not to say yes. You know, there was nothing going on. We had no plans. They'd already eaten their dinner while watching the first movie. And so I just... I went with it, and that led to a peaceful evening. Not saying screens are okay to use all the time to parent with, right? You know, you don't want to fall into that trap of allowing screens becoming your parenting tool. Um, But in this moment, it was one of those yes moments. It was one of those, you know what? I have zero reason to say no to this. I'm going to say yes because I know it's going to make them happy in this moment. And that worked out. And I hadn't seen the second volume for quite a while. And so really watching it again with them, it was really quick to pick up on a lot of these parenting themes, right? You follow along early on with seeing Peter's father on earth in 1980, I think it was, um, with his mom and seeing what he was doing and then learning that, um, later in the movie, his mom dies from brain cancer. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit, I think here, but you see that you have this father figure who probably seems like a really cool guy, but completely disappears when Peter's born. Peter doesn't get to know him, doesn't know what he looks like. And so what Peter does is he invents a father figure in his mind. He imagines his dad is David Hasselhoff um, from Knight Rider, the Knight, the Knight Rider version, David Hasselhoff. And he carries a picture around in his wallet of David Hasselhoff. And when people ask who his dad is, he shows that picture and people laugh at him. But why does he choose that? He's trying to create his own father figure. He has this, you know, handsome debonair type guy who is, you know, strong, buff, charismatic, knows always what to say, has this really cool car that talks and helps him fight crime and solve, you know, problems. And so he creates his own father figure and he kind of forms himself out of this to become Star-Lord later on when he's abducted and taken into space. So you see this lack of a father figure for him and he's always you know, wondering, like, who is my dad? Where's my dad at? My mom always told me my dad came from the stars, but I never believed that. I just assumed he abandoned me. 
Well, you come to find out that Peter's dad is actually this celestial being, so he's a godlike figure, millions and millions and millions of years old, and Peter finds this out. And what does he do? He latches onto this. He sees this father figure, and he's everything he dreamed of. He's this guy who has all this power, he's charismatic, and he just wants to find his son. So it makes Peter feel very wanted. And that's really what all of our kids want, right? They want to feel wanted. They want to feel like we enjoy being with them, spending time with them. Um, They want uh, them to be a part of our lives. So Peter finally feels like he gets that chance. He finally is excited for that to happen. Now, as the movie goes on, and Peter's dad realizes that Peter has this celestial gene, meaning he is able to control, you know, time and matter within this kind of set space, he reveals to Peter his ultimate plan. Well, what is this ultimate plan? It's this plan to basically take over the universe. But the plan is not Peter's plan, right? It's Ego, his dad's plan, which Ego, interesting name, right? Check your ego at the door. Um, But it's this concept of his dad has this expectation. When I find my child who is worthy of me, they will follow this plan with me. It's not a, well, I'm going to see what they're interested in and maybe go with them. It is, they're going to do what I want them to do. And as parents, that's a hard thing, I think, because we have these expectations for our kids. And whatever those expectations may be, there are expectations for what they're going to do in life, how well they're going to do in school, how well they're going to do in sports, how they're going to treat other people, you know, who are they going to marry, all these expectations, you know, even some underlying ones that you may not even realize you have. But it's, it becomes obvious when we start to try to direct our kids to do those things, even if they don't want to. I mean, look at sports, look at activities. You know, it's very easy for those of us who played a certain sport to want to push our kids into those sports. You know, for me, I love soccer. I played soccer growing up. I was a hockey player too, but soccer ended up being my main sport. And I would absolutely love to have both my boys in soccer right now. But we tried it and neither one really cared for it. They didn't care at all about it. And I could have pushed them. I could have said, no, we're going to keep doing this every season. We're going to try. We're going to try. We're going to try. But that would have gotten me nowhere, right? That would have gotten me not them not interested in what I wanted, plus probably alienating them a little bit from saying, well, dad wants me to do this, but I don't want to do it. So now I don't have anything in common with dad. So I could have done that, but I didn't. And now they're into their respective activities. But you watch this movie, Volume 2, with Guardians of the Galaxy, and the whole time you have this father figure basically trying to force his son into his ideal plan and ideal universe, specifically. And at first, Peter seems like it makes sense to Peter. Yeah, sure, I want to be this godlike figure with my dad. But as he continues to learn about it, he's realizing, well, what about my friends? What about the people who who I care about? And he goes as well... Ultimately, those people don't matter because we're we're gods. Doesn't matter. And Peter has to decide how. What is he going to do? Is he going to use his brain and you know use the celestial power that he has and kind of follow along as with his dad, or is he going to follow his heart and follow what he wants in life? And that is to be with his friends, who he now sees as his family. And he quickly learns that's what he wants. And of course, it turns into a big fight, and you know the ultimate, you know fight scenes and those kind of things. But it's such an important thing because I think as dads, we do, we, we expect our kids to 
be a certain way and maybe follow the plan we have for them, but it doesn't always work out that way. And ultimately, we have to decide how hard are we going to push before we let go and let them choose their own path. And, you know, my kids are still young. They're nine and five. They still don't know what they want to do with their lives. They're still figuring out what they're interested in. And so I have time for that. I mean, I know what I'd love for my kids to be like, but ultimately I have to recognize that that's me. That's my expectations. And if I dwell too much on my expectations, it's going to lead to frustration. It's going to lead to disappointment. It could lead to me not being happy with how my kids are acting. And it's not a fault to them because they have their own desires and wants. But it's just me projecting my desires and wants on them without them really even recognizing or realizing it. So I think as parents, that's a definitely important topic to look at because it's it's not hard to do that, but it's also not easy to give up on that sometimes. So think about that with your kids. Are you doing that? Are you projecting what you want on them that's leading to frustrations? And again, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be school. You know, we all want our kids to be top of the class, but only one kid can be top of the class, right? Not everybody's going to hit the top. And what happens when your kid doesn't? Are you going to express disappointment to them? Are you going to express frustration? Are you going to tell them they need to work harder? Are you going to tell them they're not going to amount to anything in the world? Or are you going to say, hey, you worked hard. Good job. I'm proud of you. You know, what's your expectation they're going to be like? And how are you going to apply it to what they're actually doing? Because maybe they're not at that point to be able to be top of their class. Maybe it's just not in the cards for them. That's just okay. I was not top of the class for any of my stuff, and I felt pretty fine with it. So, you know, I think it's one of those topics that you have to look at and decide, okay, what what matters most to you in that regard, too? So that's the parenting side of that movie that I look at. Now, one of the other, I think, interesting side relationships is, of course, the the, the sibling relationship between Gamora and Nebula. And if you haven't watched the movies in a while, they are basically the adopt- adoptive daughters of Thanos. And I say adoptive because he basically just takes them from whatever worlds he's conquered and makes them his daughters. And he's basically forced them to compete against each other all throughout time since they've been with him. And the story goes, basically, Gamora, I assume being the older sibling, but I'm not sure, um, always beats Nebula. And when Nebula gets beat, Thanos basically makes her undergo some type of robotic artificial intelligence manipulation to her body to try to match Gamora, but she's just never good enough. So you have this constant competition between siblings all through their youth, where one is always better than the other. And the one who's always on the bottom feels worthless, feels useless, feels like they're always having to change themselves to become better for somebody else. Um, And they're constantly being told that the other sibling's the favorite. And you pick that up in the movies. Thanos is constantly saying how Gamora is his favorite daughter. Now, I hope no parents out there are not wise enough to say that. Hopefully nobody's picking a favorite child at home. But it's easy to make our kids feel like they don't matter or they're not good enough. And in this case, you look at um, you look at Nebula's character. That's how she's felt her whole life. I'm not good enough. I need to prove myself. I need to change. I need to change. And that's such a good analogy to when mental health conditions kick in with our kids. And you think of things like bulimia, body dysmorphic disorder. Um, Young men in junior high 
wanting to lift, 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 take creatine, all that stuff that they're not supposed to even do at those ages, let alone high school, to bulk up and create muscle. And why is that? Because they felt like a lot of their lives are not good enough. They're not strong enough. They're not fast enough. They're not the best on their team. Um, I don't get enough girls to like me, whatever it is. They've been made to feel this way. And they want to change themselves. And that's such a striking simile when you look at Nebula's character is somebody who's not good enough ever. And she's constantly having to change just to try to keep up. And I think that's an important one to look at. You know, sibling rivalry is a big thing. And I think, you know, obviously we don't want our kids competing all the time because if you always have a winner, always have a loser, someone's going to feel bad all the time about it. So the competition side's hard. You don't want to have that all the time. And obviously having a household with two boys, everything's a competition and it's hard to tone it down for them because it's not our desire. It's their desire to have everything be a competition. But obviously the nine-year-old typically beats the five-year-old out on a lot of things. And you don't want that to lead to some type of condition in the five-year-old where they feel like they're not good enough. So that's something we work on. But I think deeper down, looking at Nebula's character, that is definitely a character of complete neglect. Not having a parenting figure that actually admires them and adores them or gives them positive criticism, right? It is all negative and it makes them feel like they're not good enough. So I think when you look at that as a parent, it's, I, and again, I don't expect you guys out there listening to this that you're doing that, but I think it is such a good example of trying to know how we are telling our kids that they're doing a good job. Now, not always babying them in the term of saying like, hey, good job, you tied your shoes and they're, you know, 17 years old or something like that. Um, but using it appropriately, making sure your kid knows that you appreciate them, appreciate who they are as a person, that they don't have to change who they are to be loved, and appreciate the effort they put into things. Now, I know we're in a kind of a weird world where people don't, some people are fine with trophies for everyone, and some people aren't fine with trophies for everyone, and that's a whole topic for a different show. But you have to balance that out, I think, in my mind. I think you know, giving positive reinforcement is important, but I also think rewarding hard work is important as well. So it's a balance there, I think. But I think that's a big topic too. So think about that. Think about how you're acting with your kids with that. And let me know what you think about it. You know, if you, if you haven't watched Guardians in the Gal- of the Galaxy for a while, go back and watch them, especially the second movie, and watch for those specific themes. And in a way, try to relate them to your world and see how are you acting under both those guises. The father figure who wasn't there and has these high expectations, or the father figure who expects their child to be better than their sibling, and when they're not, they're basically telling them to change themselves. Are you doing something like that on some level that could be negatively affecting your kid? So think about that. If you got thoughts, you can send me a message at imperfectdadmd at gmail.com, or you can drop by the website at www.imperfectdadmd.com, and you can send me a comment through there. Um, otherwise, I hope you guys are staying healthy and staying, staying safe out there. Uh, remember to embrace the imperfections, and I will see you next time. My dad, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, is a pediatrician, father, and husband. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to be medical advice and is for your education and entertainment only.